You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. We're still in Ephesians. We're in Ephesians 5. We'll be starting at 15 this morning. Uh, This is the 14th week that we've been in Ephesians. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't seem that that long really uh it's pretty cool though uh the way i figure it today we're only going to be in uh, verses 15 through 21 the reason for that is i'm not gonna end just somewhere in the middle or try to rush through the uh the wives and husbands part although some may prefer that uh <laughs> um so next week we'll we'll do that. We'll finish it out, and then I'm I'm hoping two weeks on chapter six. So I'm projecting three more weeks. Could be four. We'll see. Um, so that'll give us either uh, when we end. Then that'll give us either three or two weeks in December, um, which we'll see what we'll do. Maybe Christmas sermons or something. I don't know. <laughs> Probably be a different type, though, if it's coming from me, uh, than what you've heard. Uh, well, because I, I think it would be important to go through the lineage that we have, because it's a wealth of information, and most people like to skip over those parts because they're just names they don't know how to pronounce. Uh, <laughs> but it tells a great deal of us that plays a part in the gospel. So, anyway, <clears throat> we're going to re- always review a little bit, then we'll read the text. Okay. Um, so last week we were as verses three through 14, we seen these examples of darkness versus light went through sexual immorality, idolatry, crude joking, all these things that are not, um, that, that are not, uh, to be a part of those, uh, who are children of light now, right? And these are things that are of the darkness so, and the sons of disobedience whose God's wrath is upon and will come upon. And then we ended in that verse 14 with that, the, the hymn that was inspired by Isaiah 60 and the awake, O sleeper. And then we asked that honest question, or rather I asked it, of, of who wakes who. And uh, which, you know, I don't, I don't know. I know that was... It's interesting, and it made some of us, because it did me too, but it's still a good question. Is it our faith that saves us, or God who saves us by imparting that light of Christ, imparting life and truth, shining that light unto the darkness that raises us because we are dead in our trespasses and sins? So that's where, that's where we ended. So now we're at 15. Calm down, son. 15, it says, Look carefully then how you walk, 
Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And say in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. So look carefully then how you walk. So because the light was given to us, we should walk carefully. Okay, we, we, we want to be wise, it says, not as the unwise or the fools. All right, this is, this is Paul's final, final use of the word walk. We've seen it several times. So we remember, we want to recall that this walk pictures life, our way of life. It's worked out in a daily step-by-step process. So looking carefully implies that if we are careless about our walk, we may not get through life without a serious mishap. And it happens, all right? We know this is going to happen. It says, go carefully. The Gentiles that were mentioned in in chapter 4, they walk in the futility of their mind. Being darkened in their understanding, giving themselves over to sensuality and greed. But Christians are not to walk in that manner. We must walk carefully, he says. So Paul draws the first of several contrasts, as he usually does, by saying not as the unwise, but as wise. So wisdom is a big theme in the Bible. We know that. And the basic meaning of wisdom in Hebrew was skill, right? A, a wise man has the skills for living properly. And at the core of this wise living is the fear of the Lord. And we'll address that later with the last verse that we're in today. But so as a, as a, wise, a wise person lives in a, God, a godly, skillful manner, it will produce a finished product that brings glory to the Lord. It's knowing what's, what's been given to us in Scripture then is the way to living this out. This is where our wisdom comes from. <clears throat> and it says, make the best use of the time. Some, some says redeem, redeeming the time. So there, there were two Greek uh, words used for time. And one had the ideal simply of day upon day, hour upon hour. And the other has this ideal of a definite portion of time. It's a time where something should happen. So the difference between the time and the time is that here, the ideal here is being of the time is it's a definite season of opportunity that Christians should make use of. Or redeem. Now, Paul isn't telling us to make the most of just every moment, you know, like go for your dreams and live the best life. You know what I mean? He tells us to seize opportunity for the glory of Jesus. It's not making the most of time, 
but to make the most of the time, if that makes sense. Okay? The idea then that God gives us these choice moments to seize for him to be alert to his purposes and ready to grab them. Uh, We buy up, if you will, opportunities, making the most of them for the glory of God, for the kingdom. To do so is to grow to know him more and to be conformed to his image. So by walking carefully in, in, in this world is to buy back opportunities like it has this sense in the Greek of a shrewd businessman for God's purposes and making the most of them for his glory. Because the days are evil. Hmm. It's yet another reason as to why it's important to walk wisely. So we, we've, we've seen this darkness. You were darkness. Um, last week I messed up on that where it said, uh, he, he didn't say you were in darkness. He actually said you were darkness. Uh, I messed up last week. I listened to it and heard that. <laughs> but he said, like, he actually says you were darkness. He wasn't like you were in the dark. Like you were darkness. So we've seen this light and darkness stuff. All right. So this, the darkness wants to distract. It wants to frustrate. It wants us back for its destruction. Right now, you can call it whatever you want. Darkness here, because I'm just I'm using the word darkness here because it's in the immediate context, the the surrounding context. All right, sin. All right, the devil. Whatever darkness. It's not of God. It wants us back, right? But having a father that is wise and knowing him more and more, it results in a renewal and a transformation of the minds, right? And as his beloved children, this is what happens to get, as we walk with him. And this is to combat the flesh. It's to combat, combat the, the darkness. It's subduing. It's mortifying sin or the flesh. It's overcoming temptation. It's exposing the darkness. Uh, as we saw last week, it said expose it. And, and another thing that I came across this week actually was, was it just exposing the darkness of the world? We're not to be so much concerned about judging the world. Our judgment is to be confined within the body in Scripture. It's to help one another expose the darkness that's within us, with one another, is what he was getting at. So I was backtracking a little bit, but I've found some more things this week while studying. It's like, oh, I could have said that. <laughs> but it's overcoming these things, exposing that, overcoming it. Through the strength of the Lord, and it's resting in His victory, okay? His victory is our victory. He has shared that with us, so we need to walk in that. So, and, and to be discerning at all times to what's around us. And then Paul says to not be foolish and to understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, last week he had said, Learn what's pleasing to the Lord. Now he's saying, understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, so this is, this is wisdom. This is real wisdom here. It's, it's the contrast of being unwise, right? Our main understanding of the will of the Lord comes from a good, solid knowledge of his word. All right? This is not, in this context, this isn't like, uh, 
Well, in, in the context of the, the letter, the will of the Lord is, is much bigger than things that we think about, okay? It's not about, do I take this job? What school to go to? Should we buy this house? What's your will for this Lord? You know what I mean? In, in our culture, in our lives, we're, we sit around, we want to know what the will of God is for me. And that's, that's not what this is here, all right? That's not like, you can pray about those things, that's fine. I know some people that, that pray about every single like, purchase they make, even. Asking the Lord, which carpet cleaner is better than the other? <laughs> right? They do. I'm, I'm serious. I've, I could send you a video of that. <laughs> um, it's not necessarily the point. The, the, the will of the Lord for you, for your life, is everything that we've been seeing that we're connected to here. That you were darkness. Jesus has paid the price to forgive us of our sins, to be placed in him, to give us his righteousness. That's the will of the Lord. All right? It's not in these, these little things, not to demean all of that, but to understand this means to grasp with the mind, which implies some effort on our own end, actually, okay? It takes effort on our own part to understand this, to study it, that the Lord's will is revealed in his word. And Paul has wrote about it throughout this letter, all right? From adoption as children through Jesus to making known the mystery of his will and obtaining our inheritance, that God's will relates to his eternal purpose to be glorified by summing up all things in Jesus Christ. That's God's will. That's God's will for our lives. Okay? So we have to apply ourselves and put forth some effort to grasp that purpose with our minds so that we can live our life in line with it. <clears throat> That's what we were talking about this week, Olivia, or the other night, right? A lot of times we say, how do I get this, the word of God, how do I get this scripture here in line with my life? That's not how you do it. You get yourself in line with this, right? <laughs> but we're backwards today. It really is a lot of, a lot of and it's probably, it's nothing new. It's not. But... Uh, there's things in me and there's things in you. We have filters. We have these presuppositions, all right, these assumptions. There's things in here we don't like that we can't figure out that just doesn't jive with us that well. Uh, I want to pick and choose. I'll leave that out. So this can be in the line with my way of thinking and how I want to see, you know, things being done because of the culture and all that. But that's not the point. We get in line with this. Even if it does not jive well with the way we've been taught or our filters or presuppositions and whatnot, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to change that so we can get in line with it. We get in line with God. God doesn't get in line with us. All right. <laughs> That's really the point here. All right. Don't be foolish. Understand the will of God. And then he says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. So two points before I dive into this. This is not just wine. It's any substance that would alter us. OK. And also you would have to put in there why, like, what's the reason to consume any type of substance that could do this to you? OK, is it to get away from something? Is it to numb you? Is it? 
to for relaxation and pleasure and things like that. Okay, you have all of that stuff there. What is the reason for it? All right. And the second thing is here is he says drunk. He doesn't say not to have any at all. And I know that's a debatable thing, but I'm just saying, uh, I'm just saying there's tons of tons of believers. Sometimes they rub it in, the, in people's faces a little too much. We're under grace. We're free. The reformers are really big on this. Having pubs and whatnot when they have conferences and drinking their beer and their homebrewed stuff and big beards and their oil and all that stuff. and. <laughs> Okay, whatever. Um, I don't drink. Olivia doesn't drink. Um, I used to be an alcoholic. God del- delivered me out of that. Um, so it's just a thing for me where it's like, I'm not going to drink. There's people that will have a drink with their, their steak or their, their certain meal. I, whatever. I don't care. I don't know how you guys feel about it. I'm just saying it. Whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to get on to. I'm not going to freak out. Um, however, there are some things to consider. You're making, if you have children, you're making an example for them. They're going to see that. And it may just be more than a drink for them as they get older. It could go into a full-blown problem. Or it may take another generation for that to come full circle and for it to be an issue. There's things to consider on what we do, what we put into our body, and how we present it. And... And offer that, um, I guess, in our lifestyle for others to see, right? But here it says, do not get drunk, okay? Do not be filled with any other type of substance except for the Holy Spirit. And that's the point. All right, so it's another contrast. And it's going to be followed up by, here's some English. It's followed by five participles, okay? And that are results of being filled with the Spirit, okay? Drunkenness was, and I would say still, still is, a practice um, uh, of, of, of pagan worship, okay? And he, he mentions debauchery. It's, it's reckless behavior. It's being unrestricted by any good sense at all. So as the Spirit is poured out on us, we are under his influence. And I'm not talking about drunk in the Spirit, though. When I say that, <laughs> very uh, charismatic doctrine there, drunk in the spirit. Obviously, if actual alcohol has you uh, being unrestrained by good sense, and then there's people saying they're drunk in the spirit and they're falling all over and they can't talk, it looks the same. It's, it's, there's an issue there. Okay, um, so uh, I'm not when I'm saying under influence, we're talking about being led by the spirit, you know, all this. It's the result of this threefold uh, work here, which we, we, we see as heartfelt worship, thanksgiving, and mutual submission. All right, so we're to be filled with the Spirit, and it's not just a one-time occurrence, but rather it's a constant filling, okay? And it's asking to be filled and receiving the filling. Now, hold on now. Don't start to freak out. I'm going to get to it in a minute. I'm not talking about this baptism, okay, type of thing in the Pentecostal way, all right? This is scriptural stuff here, but not in the way that man has started to teach it and got and been carried away with it. Okay, so I have to address it when when we go verse by verse. It's the best way to get a preacher to address topics, right? <laughs> Can't just skip it and try to make something up here. I have to address this and and present it the way I believe it's been presented to us. 
Paul is, again, drawing a contrast, okay, between the old way of life and the new, all right? So it has this verb tense here, where it's actually be continually filled or be constantly being filled with, all right? So the Greek for be filled indicates two things, okay? One, the verb is passive, so this is not a manufactured experience, nor, and I would say, nor is it a, 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 like a built-up emotional experience either. All right, it's not. This is not referring to a baptism of the Spirit here, in the sense of an experience that's subsequent to salvation to seek after. Rather, the filling of the Spirit is repeated uh, over and over. It's a repeated event that empowers us for godliness and for service. And essentially, it's the same as walking by the means of the Spirit, which gives us victory over flesh and produces the fruit of the Spirit in us, okay? Number two, it's an imperative. That means it shouldn't be optional. It should be a normative daily experience for all of us who are believers. So being filled is a command here, and it brings up an interesting fact, or a question, I would say, of what I've already sort of addressed, that we aren't commanded to be baptized with the Spirit. Um, I know it said, you know, one's coming who will baptize you with Spirit and fire, right? But it's not something you go do. Like, Jesus, Jesus said you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He didn't say... He's not commanded to us to seek it. He said you will. He said it will happen. All right. Here is a command to be filled. So uh, many will take the negative command on not being drunk very seriously, but not the positive command to be filled with the spirit. So the question is, you know, what exactly does that mean? We don't have we have an understanding of it this way. We have an understanding over here. There's confusion. I understand that. Right? Jesus said you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. When does that happen? Right? When, at regeneration. Faith, repent, saved, Holy Spirit. It increases. The more you grow, the more you are renewed, the more you are transformed, the, may, the more that you discern what is pleasing to the Lord, the more you start to understand and grasp with your mind what the will of God is. Things that we have gone over. So be Filled, be continually, be filled with the Spirit. So how? And it's simple. I don't have the Pentecostal distinctive, like I said, like you're saved, now you must get filled with the Spirit, right? I'm going with that. I've never, I never experienced that. Um, it was a continual thing I started to notice because people would be like, you should go, get prayed I can't like go. Oh, you gotta get it. you know. You baptized in the spirit. I was like, I am. I have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, and then some, you know, we've we've mentioned that before. Some have those distinctives too. Like you're not like you have to be baptized with the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. You know, where clearly though in in the Greek in, in Corinthians it says says we'll all speak in tongues and it's a, a very distinct imperative capitalize no there not all will do that it's as the spirit wills all right so um so how and people are like what do i do and people are always like uh, like 
There's a lot of striving for things like this because there's, there's confusion and, and because there's been misrepresentation. There's been bad interpretation at the best and, and then just full-on manipulation and just crazy chaos at its, at its worst, right? Um, just here, though, you already have the Holy Spirit. So be filled with him continually, he's saying. To be filled with wine... Just think about it. To be filled with alcohol, right? You give yourself over to it and keep drinking. That's how you get drunk, right? So, uh, in the same way, when we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, we keep doing it, you'll be filled with him more. You give yourself over to the Lord. You keep doing it, you'll be filled. If being filled means being controlled, then we must continually yield the control of our lives to the Holy Spirit. All right? What's, and people, well, I thought it was God or I thought it was Jesus. Now it's the Holy Spirit. We're all over the place. Trinity, so it's, not, it's okay to, 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 to say yield our lives to the Holy Spirit. He's who's in us. He's who is communicating with us, illuminating Scripture to us, helping us understand. He, we want our to walk by the Spirit. So are we consciously yielding control of our lives to Him? Are we seeking His fullness by drinking in His Word and asking Him to conform us to the image of Christ? Okay, and then all you do is, it's happening. When you do these things, it's happening. You trust that He is filling you. He is filling us and he continues to fill us, and as we keep seeking Him for greater fullness of, of Him in our lives, we just trust that He keeps filling us continually, because He does. Okay, so, and Paul says that this drunkenness is debauchery, it's a waste of resources, alright? Which should be, these are things that should be submitted to Jesus. And, and, alcohol is a depressant, Right? Um, it loosens people up because it depresses their self-control and their wisdom, their balance, and their judgment. The Holy Spirit has the opposite effect. He's a stimulant. <laughs> he, he moves every aspect of our being to better and, and, and more perfect performance of an, a Christ-like image. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, now, moving on, addressing one another, and he, he, he gives these things, okay? So speaking, singing, making melody, giving thanks, and submitting to one another. Kind of moving fast here, okay. <clears throat> speaking and submitting to one another, that relates to our behavior towards one another, obviously. And then singing, making melody, and giving thanks, this relates to our behavior towards the Lord, so these things indicate the results of being filled with the Spirit. We are filled with Him, right? When we are filled with Him and we see that, there's a change that happens with salvation. That we have a desire to worship God. Uh, and we also want to encourage others in their worship of God. Those who are um, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit will naturally praise and, and, and praise is a, is a way of being filled, too. 
So this is variety listed in, in singing, right? It's like two-dimensional. Like, like we, we uh, instruct one another and we make melody in our hearts and we, we, um, we, we, we do that. It doesn't even have to mean like if you don't, like if you don't sing good, it doesn't mean like you have to sing. Don't worry about it. If you don't sing, it's okay, right? Because it says it, it, God delights in our worship and if it comes from our heart, that's the point, right? <clears throat> so the, the, the most important place for us then is to, to have a melody to God is in our hearts. Singing in our hearts says that there's a great measure of joy and peace there. And the one filled with the Spirit then is also filled with thanksgiving. And that's the opposite of grumbling and complaining because a thankful heart will bow before God and His goodness even in the tougher times, even in a bad mood, even in the midst of stress and anxiety. And then finally, finally, that the submitting, <clears throat> submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, other translations say in the fear of Christ or fear of God. And I, earlier I said we would address that. Um, okay, so th- this fear of God or fear of Christ here is positive in relation to the Father, Okay. When, when, when one is filled with the Spirit, it will show our mutual submission to one another. And it's done so in reverence or the fear of God, all right? Not out of the fear of man. It's important when it comes to this word submission, submitting to one another. Sort of sounds, sounds weird at uh, this day and age, right? Uh, submit. Um, there, there's, many, there's many different views actually on this little part here. There's a handful. There's like a lot, actually. Um, what's going on? I was like, why? How could there be so many different views on just this one, one scripture? It's weird. But. All right. But there's a sense of, of, of mutual submission in, in biblical relationships. Okay. Like in, in which we lay aside our rights and humbly serve one another in love. All right. We're under this law of love. So there's, there is a sense of um, these positions, okay, of authority, all right? Like, people, like with, you know, pastors and, and teachers and the congregation and things like that. There's no getting around it. Even if I say, hey, we're totally on the same level, still people have this different sense of seeing people in authority when it comes to that, right? So there is this sense in which that even those in positions of authority then have to submit, though. And that's what I'm trying to say. If the gospel makes us equal, then we equally are doing the same things that, are, that we're all unified in through the Spirit. So someone in a position of authority needs to be able to equally submit just as someone who's not in authority, all right? All right? You, by not being self-assertive, not by manipulation and all these things, but by serving under the law of love, it's Christ's love at work in us. Because Jesus, he was an authority over the disciples, but he laid aside those authoritative rights and washed their feet, right? He didn't come to be served, but to serve. 
So I don't like it when there's somebody talking about submitting to me all the time when there's no submission from them. <laughs> Basically, it's the point I'm trying to make here. We should be equal on this. Um, and that can be abused. It, it's misused a lot. Okay, so being filled then with the Spirit then is, a, is foundation for proper submission, the knowledge of the, of the Word and, and, and doctrine of the Bible and what it says, uh, and, and living that out with one another. All right? So we are to be some submissive people. All right? It doesn't mean to allow people to walk over you. Okay? It's submitting to one another, helping one another, serving and God has ordained authority and submission in various spheres for his purposes and all that. And I'm not going to get into all that stuff. Um, but, but some is for our blessing. Some is for our protection. Okay? In which we are to submit to. The motive is that, that we, uh, for Jesus, all right? Um, uh, or we fear Christ. We have this fear of the Lord, it says. This reverence. But this is not this cringing, like fear or this fear of judge, like this, like, you know, little kid, there's a monster on my bed type of fear. That's not that type of fear. All right. People talk about got to have this fear of God. Like, and I understand there's this wrath and this judgment and all this, but there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Right. We, we're, we're, we won't we aren't in fear of judgment. Like we're good. We're good. <laughs> I've said that plenty of times. You won't be like. You're not going to have judgment. You're in Christ. Okay, so that's what always confuses me when I hear people talk about this fear, this fear of God thing. There's a healthy fear of God. There's, a, there's an unhealthy fear of God. Um, if you're in this new covenant under this law of love, you're placed in Christ. There's no condemnation on you, but you're constantly in fear that you're going to walk out of that and do something wrong and be placed under the wrath of God. Then that's an unhealthy fear of the Lord. All right. The fear of the Lord or this reverence of Christ that Paul is speaking about here is, is that there's this reverence, fear that acknowledges Christ's supremacy as the Lord of the universe, as Lord of lords and King of kings. It's this aweness of knowing that God has put all things in subjection under Christ's feet. And in this, this way, when, when those who are an authority, live in this reverence and live in this fear of Christ, they will not abuse their authority, but they'll exercise it in love and, and not out of a, a desire um, of control or, and all that, but out of a desire to seek the highest good of those who are around, uh, around them and under any author uh, God's authority. Oh, that's it. <laughs> So that, that's really what that is pointing to, I believe. And so that, that whole, that, that submitting, it, it's just serving one another. That's what it is. It's just serving each other. And we do that. And we've, we've already hit a, Paul's already addressed this. In a lot of ways, Paul, he's always just back, he's sort of saying the same thing in a different way a lot of times. Because he's really just trying to, to, to drive it home. And get the point across. So he gives several different examples. So we are to serve one another. And we, we live in this honest of this being struck by that reverence of Christ and who he is. 
That he is seated at the right hand of God. He is ruling and reigning. All power and authority has been given unto him. And, and, and that is like sort of like the motivation. on the, Like it moves us to serve each other. And to encourage one another. And when one cries, we all cry. And when one is joyous, we're all joyous, right? And that's a picture of the body. All right, any questions, comments, concerns, disagreements, grievances? Caesars are those who want to preach on the subject of submission mm-hmm. or the ones who want control. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> well, most of the time. Yeah. That's why I, I said I have a, usually have a problem with someone who always is demanding submission from me or from others, but they're not serving at all. <laughs> they don't want to serve the, the, those people at all. They want your submission to them to do whatever they want you to do. Why? Because it's control and it's abuse of authority. Anything else?